Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing well coming off of Thanksgiving and realizing yet again, uh, with that intentionality, I have so much for which to be thankful. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you guys have a good Thanksgiving celebration? We did. We did. We had several family members come in from out of town, uh, including uh, my cousin who's recently been married. Actually, married like two weeks ago. So we got to see him at the wedding and then now. So That's awesome. We're getting to see incremental growth in his uh, uh, marriage. So that's cool. That's really cool. And what's cool, I mean, you guys are doing this now, but you are actively changing Thanksgiving. You know, this was a new Thanksgiving. Somebody new was there, and yeah. you brought him, and his name is Thomas. <laughs> and yeah, so, that too. Yeah how, yeah. how was that? That was awesome. He did really well. Um, Isaac, my my firstborn, continues to be the ideal, perfect older brother. Um, always gentle, always loving. I love um, that. Yeah. So we had a we had a really good time uh, bringing both boys to the Thanksgiving table uh, uh, at my great aunt's house. So yeah. that's really cool. How about you all? Yeah, it was great. So we we have distilled it all down to one single gathering. Um, my mother comes, and and members of Aaron's family come, and we are at different houses. We this year we were at her sister, my wife's sister's house, and um, man, it was great. You know, it's just it's really good, and 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 you see new people come in, and and occasionally you'll have a teenager who will bring a significant other, and that uh, always yeah. changes the the flavor of the the gathering, but you know. Um, it's a reminder that that so many times we don't see these people unless there's a funeral, mm-hmm. um, but we see them at, at Thanksgiving and at Christmas, perhaps both, perhaps only one. Uh, we're blessed that, that we don't have to travel. I know for so many people, this is a big travel holiday, and so um, we went about you know probably a mile away from our house, and so that was that was helpful. So Elliot. Saw you nodding over here. You don't have a microphone in front of you, but you had a good Thanksgiving and very, very thankful for your family. And um, and God is good. God is good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, about forty hostages were returned in the Israel situation. Very, very so, thankful for that as yeah, well. Yeah, and yeah. so that is um, that is a major thing and 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 something to be clear about. I mean, you know, in recent days, Hamas. Um, killed Palestinians whom they felt were working with the Israelis. And so you can just see the the wickedness of Hamas. It is a terrorist organization, and yet it is also the governmental leadership of Gaza. And so there are so many layers to this. And, and I would just encourage everyone, I'll be going to another gathering um, here in about a week to um, help them better understand the Israel and Palestine situation. Mm. And, um, you know, ignorance is defined as not knowing. So if you, if you don't know, um, you, you have the opportunity to learn. And so there are a thousand things over which I'm ignorant mm. and there are things over which you're ignorant. All, every person is ignorant of something. Um, and it doesn't mean unintelligent. It just means uninformed. And so, the danger is when we mix ignorance with an emphatic attitude that <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but I'm emphatic about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, I think we see a lot of that going on. Um, you know, there, there are just a lot of people who are speaking without knowledge and, and speaking emphatically. And I think that um, everyone would do well to study that situation, see 
some of the recent history of that situation, see some of the concessions that have been sought to have been made that were rejected repeatedly, um, and see how things got to where they are. Um, so just some encouragement, you know, as I watch the news of what's going on in the United States of America, particularly on college campuses and in major cities where uh, protests are happening, where people are chanting things like from the river to the sea, and they have no idea what that means. Yeah. No idea what that means. And so, you know, it is wise always to research and learn and understand what you're saying, particularly if you're going to speak emphatically about it. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you're going out and still, you know, sharing information, getting people well-informed, and just continuing to pray for Israel. That's that's the big thing that's that we can do over here. Yes, so, indeed. Yeah. Well, so this weekend we talked about Andrew. Uh, I, this story is particularly meaningful to me because my younger brother was named Andrew after this Andrew. Um, uh, Mom really likes this story that uh, Andrew ran and told his brother Peter about uh, about Jesus. So, Praise God. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about th- that particular Andrew. So the passage from this weekend was John 1, 40. One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Okay, so the following verse to that is John 1, 41. So it says he, Andrew, first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So when you read it out loud like that, like you did on Sunday, Jeff, mm-hmm. it, it kind of sounds like Andrew's saying, we found the Messiah, which, by the way, if you don't know, that means Christ. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's kind of confusing when you like hear it in the Bible, or at least in the ESV, when you read it, it's like Andrew says, we have found the Messiah, end quote, parentheses, which means Christ, sure. in case you don't know. Um but even then, it's still a little weird because it's like, you know, we found the Messiah, which means Christ, but like Messiah and Christ in English are basically the same thing. So like, why is that repeated? So I wanted to ask you about kind of the, the languages going on in this passage and what those, what John wording it in this way tells us about the situation on the ground at that time. So what you have going on here is really, I think, three languages. So when Andrew went to tell Simon, his brother, that they have found the Christ, he likely said that to him in Aramaic, which was the common language of the day. Um, John, the apostle, when he was writing his gospel, was writing in Greek. So that's a different language. That's not Aramaic. Um, and when he references Messiah, he's referencing the Hebrew but he's using the Greek language to reference the Hebrew. So he uses two different words. If you go and look at the at the text in the original language in which it was written, uh, which is Greek, um, what John writes is that Andrew said, we have found tonmasion, which is the transliteration to some degree of the Hebrew into the Greek yeah. um, to capture the notion that the person about whom Andrew is talking is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies about Messiah. But then, parenthetically, John includes, which means Christ, which is a different word, Christos. Now, Mashiach in Hebrew and Messian in Greek and Christos in Greek all mean the same thing. They mean anointed one, the one who is anointed, the one, um, again, who is prophesied and all those sorts of things. And so it's the same word. And I think that John is clarifying for his audience in the first century that when you hear Christ, Christos, that is the same idea as Messian, which is Mashiach. Um, It all means the same thing. 
And so it, it does get a little confusing, though, because now we're adding in another language. We're adding in English. And so why the parenthetical notation? Why the further explanation? And I think that John is just really seeking to be very clear of exactly what title he is seeking to give to Jesus of Nazareth and exactly what title Andrew was ascribing to Jesus of Nazareth. And so when you think about the order of how the disciples were called, we really feel like John is giving us the the earliest notation that when Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw James and John and, and he saw Simon and Andrew, and in Luke chapter 5 we get the miraculous catch of fish, that these men have already encountered Jesus and that really Really, the first encounter was when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, and Andrew followed Jesus for that day and then went and found his brother, and Simon met Jesus, and they they had this interaction such that you know, people said, well, can you imagine just being out working on the sea and some random guy says, follow me and you leave everything? Well, that's not exactly what happened. Jesus wasn't a random guy to them. They had, they had encountered one another before, but it goes back to John the Baptist being faithful with his call. Not only was he preparing the way of the Lord to the hearts of Israel, calling them to repentance, but he was preparing the way by bringing people to Jesus. And he did that with two of his own disciples, one of whom was Andrew, when he said, behold, the Lamb of God, and uh, what a beautiful, what a beautiful picture of exactly how Christianity spreads. That's that's how it has spread from the very beginning, and that's how it's supposed to still continue to spread today. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the passage in Psalms where it talks about the Lord said to my Lord. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Makes no sense in English, but if you go <laughs> back to the Hebrew, it's like you know. Yod, hey, Vav, hey, like the Lord, all caps, you yeah. know, the Father said to my Lord, which is not in caps. Yep. Um, like my master or, you know, my king or something like that. Yeah. Um, completely different reading than in the English where it's like the Lord said to my Lord. So it sounds like someone's talking to themselves. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and that's, that's, an important distinction. And I would encourage anybody who wants to learn the biblical languages. It's a difficult undertaking because you kind of have to learn new alphabets and pronunciations and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But there is such great value to be gained in doing word studies even, getting yourself a copy of Strong's Concordance, um, which you can access all this stuff online for free now. But um, and, and actually going back and looking at what was written in the, in the original language, what connotations did that carry that we miss – as we read our English Bible. Now, it's not that the English Bible is insufficient, but there is there is more depth and richness to the text, even than we can appreciate by reading our English Bibles. And so um, that's, that is always a worthwhile endeavor. It is. And, and speaking of different cultures coming together and interacting, it, my second question is about John 12, 20, which is about the, mm-hmm. the Greeks that went up to worship at Passover and asked to see Jesus. So Philip tells Andrew that they want to see him, and then both of them tell Jesus, but then Jesus launches into a teaching about his death, and it, it seems like it never actually resolves what happens to these guys. Um, so who, who are these Greeks, and why are they in this narrative? Well, I have to tell you, this passage, specifically in terms of the Greeks, has always confounded me. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, there's some guys here who want to talk to you. My soul is troubled. And, and Jesus goes into this soliloquy <laughs> about what's coming, and it's like, okay, so we're not, we, you don't want to talk to the Greeks, or, you know, but, but, but what you have is this launching 
into the last week of Jesus's life. I mean, John 12 is just such an unbelievable passage. Um, and Jesus very straightforwardly saying, this is why I'm here. For this reason, I have come to this hour. And uh, Father, glorify your name. And I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I mean, just, just, it takes me right to Holy Week. I always love to teach this passage during Holy Week leading up to Easter. But who are the Greeks? Um, so Greek is is really a, a blanket term meaning Gentiles, so non-Jewish people. And remember that to be Jewish is both an ethnicity and a religious affiliation. Uh, so there are some who would claim Judaism uh, as their ethnicity, Jewishness as their ethnicity, but would eschew the uh, religious affiliation. There are others who are not ethnically Jewish, but they would convert to Judaism. Um among the Gentiles in these days, you had what were called God-fearers, and these were Gentile people, so they were not ethnically Jewish, yet they took part in the worship of God, the worship, and I say God, they were, <laughs> what I wanted to say was the worship of the Tetragrammaton, and I don't, the so um you mentioned Yahweh, yod heh vav a minute ago, that is the most holy name of God. Um it is denoted as the Tetragrammaton, four letters uh, in the Hebrew language. We add vowels in to get Yahweh, but uh, devout Jewish people would not use the name of Yahweh. They would not even write the name of Yahweh. They instead use the word Adonai, which means Lord. And, uh, and so anytime when you're reading your English Old Testament, and you see Lord in all caps, then that is a reference to the most holy name of God, yod heh vav which we would, would say as Yahweh. Um, but um, they wanted to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And um, so many times these, these God-fearers would convert fully to Judaism. They, and, and what I mean by that is they would be circumcised even to fold themselves into this community. They would celebrate the feasts and the festivals, and they would make the pilgrimages. I mean, obviously, these Greeks have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and so um, they wish to see Jesus. And so I guess in modern parlance, we would call them seekers, maybe, hmm. um, people who— want to know more about Jesus because they are compelled by him to some degree. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. And I think that really, when you consider what is about to happen within the span of the next week, which, you know, the last week of Jesus's life, particularly in the Gospel of John, takes up pretty much half of the Gospel of John. It starts in John 12, and it goes all the way through the resurrection. And so that's that's one week's time. Um, but what you have in the cross is the functional and effective opening of the way to God through Jesus Christ to all people, both Jew and Gentile alike. So that when we see in the New Testament, there is neither slave nor free, neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female. You know, the issue there is that no individual is better than another in coming to God because we all come to God through Jesus Christ. And that's what matters. It's not the negating of those factors. It's not saying there is no more male nor female in terms of 
reality. There's still very much male and female. It's not uh, saying that there are no more ethnic Jewish people or no more ethnic Gentile people. No, that ethnicity still remains. But we come to Christ and find our oneness, our togetherness in Christ. And um, so that's an important thing. And what's getting ready to happen? We learn that when Jesus dies on the cross, the veil to the Holy of Holies is torn. And that is the way of God being opened. It is no longer just the high priest once a year on Yom Kippur who is able to access Almighty God. We now have our great forevermore high priest, the one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, um, who has gone in and made sufficient sacrifice for us from now on. And we come to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And that way is open to all who will repent of sin and come, whether Jew or Greek. And uh, that's why that's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew, for salvation comes from the Jews, then for the Greek. And uh, you and I would be Greek, Jordan. We're, we're Gentiles, yep. um, not ethnically Jewish, but... Um, but God welcomes all people to come to him through Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile alike. I suddenly sound more, more cultured now that I could say that I'm a Greek. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, there's, the subject of God-fearers is fascinating. It really is. Yeah. Um, I mean, so this is a passage from Josephus uh, in Against Appian. He says, There is not any city of the Greeks, nor of the, any of the barbarians, nor of any nation whatsoever, where our, the, the Jewish custom of resting on the seventh day has not come, and by which our fasts and lighting lamps and many of our prohibitions as to our food are not observed. So he, he's just saying that like there are God-fearers like, everywhere. Yeah. Like, anytime there's a Jewish synagogue, there are going to be Gentiles who are curious, which are these God-fearers. Yeah. Um, and that's really the, the, the ground where you start to see you know, stuff in Acts where there are already Gentiles already in the sphere of uh, Jewish people. It's almost as if God was working on that yeah, in preparation for the coming of Christ. And and I would say that, you know, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek because I absolutely believe that's what he was doing. And um, and what a beautiful thing. Yeah. Beautiful thing. Well, because Paul talks about how, you know, even the um, rejection of Messiah by the, um, you know, by many Jewish people in that generation would lead to many Gentiles coming in. You know, yes. we, um, and then you could say the same thing, like you're implying with uh, the first dispersion, you know, with uh, the Babylonians casting out the Jewish people from the land. Well, because of that, now there are Jewish people spread all across the globe. Yes. So many Gentiles, you know, start to learn about God because of that. Yeah. It's just, it's just, you know, even even these horrible things God can use for good. Well, and 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 so in Romans eight twenty eight, God works all things together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. When the Christians were expelled from Jerusalem, that was the launch pad for the the spreading of Christianity. Mm. You know, God took even a difficult situation and said, "Hey, y'all, watch this." And uh, and so our God is able. And 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 let me say this to you, listener, just to to bring this home. It may be that you're in a situation that makes no sense right now. And God, you know, why would you allow this? And God, what good could come from this? Well, just just wait. Just wait. Because if you're in Christ, God is actively working even that thing 
for your good right now. You can't see it. You can't perceive it. You, you can't sense it. But the Scripture says it's true, so we know it's true, so we can believe it, and we can lean on that and know that God will do something good from this. Um, doesn't mean that the circumstance is good, but it means that God will work it together for your good. And what a blessing. Amen. So that takes us into today's practical application question. So this is a great listener-submitted question for, for a cu- couple weeks back when we talked about Salome. So do we ever see a person like Salome coming back to Jesus after she has a new understanding of his work and asking for forgiveness? I'm also thinking of Peter. We don't see him coming back to the risen Lord and asking forgiveness for denying him three times. When did asking for forgiveness for sins begin? Once Jesus was back in heaven as our great defender? You know, that's a really insightful question. I um, I love our listeners, and I love the questions that they give us. Um, so I, I think the listener's right. I don't think we see an instance of someone who has gained a greater understanding of Jesus coming back. You know, I think about, I think about the 10 lepers that were healed and one came back to say, thank you. Um, and, and on some level that is, uh, to some degree asking for forgiveness, but, but expressing thanksgiving, you know, and even with Peter, Jesus initiated that conversation by asking him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Um, and so I think the listener's right. I think that we don't see people coming to an understanding and then returning to Jesus to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. But I think that there's an important clarification here. When we talk about asking forgiveness, and, and if you're around church, you come to our prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, or, or you're around your Bible study group or Sunday school class, when somebody prays, you're probably going to hear somebody say, forgive us for our sins. And, and so there's an important theological distinction there. So if I am in Christ, the Bible says about me, and this is Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I have been forgiven because I am in Christ. In other words, I've been justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross and by his resurrection. I've been given the guarantee, the seal of the Holy Spirit by Almighty God. And so it is not as if I need theological covering over my sins so that if I die right now, I can be forgiven when I stand before God. No, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to me. And so um, I don't have to continually seek more grace so that my sin is covered over, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And yet, I think it is altogether right and proper for us to ask for forgiveness when we sin. And the reason is, again, not to secure that cleansing, because that cleansing has come, the cleansing of our sin being washed away from us, but it is to cultivate my relationship with God. So it's kind of like, let me use the analogy of marriage. Um my wife and I are married. We are committed to that marriage. We said until death do us part. And let's say that I've done something wrong. Believe it or not, it can happen. Um, and, and I come to my wife and I say, you know, we're married, so whatever. And, and kind of imply, just get over it. You know, it's a done deal. Well, I mean, 
that may be true, but it's not helpful. It's mm-hmm. not cultivating the relationship. And we recognize that through Jesus Christ, we are in a relationship with Almighty God. And so, you know, if I come to God and say, you know, I sinned, but that's ah, covered, so get over it. You know, that that's not cultivating that relationship. And so when I seek, when I say, Lord, please forgive me for I missed the mark in this area, I I did something that I know displeased you in this area. I know that I've grieved your Holy Spirit. What I'm doing is I'm seeking to grow in closeness to the Lord. I'm 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 cultivating that relationship and saying, Lord, I know I got it wrong. And I'm gonna tell you, I have to do that a lot every single day. And uh, and I bet all of our listeners do too. And if you don't, I think your relationship with God could benefit from it. Just just actively confessing that sin. Let me use another example. So I have two children whom I love very much. Nothing could make them not my children. But when they do something wrong, it is a vastly different experience if they come to me and say, Dad, I did this. I'm sorry for it. I wish I hadn't done it. I won't do it again. Then when I have to catch them, you did this. I know you did this. You shouldn't have done this. They're still my kid, mm-hmm. but they they are not cultivating the relationship when they don't come to me. And so um, I would just encourage you, go to the Lord. Be honest with him. You know, Tell him where you missed the mark, where uh, you know you failed him. And, and just to be honest, you're going to fail him. Every single day, it's going to happen. We we still have flesh, and often, although the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And so, um, so to answer that question, let me let me try to put a bow on this. <clears throat> I think we ask for forgiveness because we're being honest with the Lord that we are still in need of his grace always. We desire to be close with him always. We understand that it is only by his grace that we are saved always. But we also can have the assurance that we are in Christ, and there is therefore now no condemnation for us, and we are held in his hand, and nothing and no one can snatch us away from him. Now, you know, you may come from a theological background that, uh, that says you can lose your salvation. Well, I disagree with that. That's one of the things that makes Baptists Baptists. You know, Baptists disagree about a lot of things, but just about every Baptist agrees that if you're saved, you're saved. You know, you can know that you're saved. Um, in John chapter 10, where Jesus tells us that, that we are in his hand and we are in the Father's hand and no one snatches us away from him and no one snatches us away from the Father, that, that we belong to him. And I'll be honest with you, Jordan, if I could have lost my salvation, I would have lost it three times this morning. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. um, but that is the security that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, that we are held in the grip of his grace. And as those who are held in the grip of his grace, we want to continue to cultivate a closeness with him, growing closer to him every day, because that will functionally lead us to the sanctification that he desires for us and accomplishes in us through his Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
yeah. seemed wordy, but but it's 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 a bit of a difficult concept, but it's an important concept for us to get. You know, I think uh, I've, I've counseled with people over the years who have prayed the sinner's prayer a billion times because they feel, whoop, whoop, I messed up again. Better get saved again. I mean, I have I have a really close friend who's been baptized nine times because he grew up in a tradition where you can lose your salvation, so you lose it. You backslide and then you come to christ again and you're starting all over so you get baptized again and you know that is that is um that's a hard place to be that's a hard place to be so uh, i think the clear biblical teaching is that those who are in christ are in christ and there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ but if you're in christ you're going to want to cultivate the closeness of that relationship with god and grow to become more like christ and part of that is saying lord I sinned, and I'm asking for you to forgive me. Please forgive me. Um, I'm sorry. That's not the way I want to live my life. Man, there's so much good stuff in there. As you were speaking, it made me think of uh, Adam and Eve when God confronts them after they've eaten of the fruit. He doesn't go to them and say, hey, you're kicked out of the garden. He goes to them and says, you know, what's going on? Like, what's happened? Well, that's a great point because he knows. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He says, where are you, Adam? Well, he knows exactly where Adam is. He knows all things at all times. And so um, he's, again, he's seeking relationship there. And unfortunately, sin causes us to hide from God, to conceal from God, to blame shift uh, toward others, and uh, even to blame God for our own sin. All those things happened in the garden. And uh, and I think that's a very important perspective that you brought out. And I think it's an interesting concept of like what would have happened if they had admitted what had happened oh my goodness you know like we don't know yeah i mean life would be better (laughs) (laughs) i think i think life would be better but uh yeah we'll see yeah yeah man another great episode jeff i'm so thankful that we continue to do this i'm thankful for all of you listeners we appreciate the questions that you continue to send in and all of the uh, support that you offer to this podcast Uh, jeff can you praise out for today I agree, and let's pray. Lord, we love you, and help us love you more. We can only love you because of your love for us, and by your grace, by your Holy Spirit, by your mercy. And we're so thankful that in Christ you have given all those things to us. And so, Lord, help us have our fear of losing our salvation cast out by your perfect love. And help us draw near to you in every regard, even confessing to you freely when we have missed the mark and sinned against you. We thank you for the forgiveness in which we stand, and we pray that we would be instruments in your hands like Andrew to help other people get to Christ, that they also might know that freedom and that forgiveness. Lord, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fu Ying Engdahl.